We'll be in Romans 4 tonight if you want to get a head start on opening the Bible. So. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Romans 3, 11-18. Romans 1, 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Romans 2, 5. But because of your hard and unpenitent or unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. We stand condemned. Judgment is coming from God and His wrath will be poured out on all people who continue in their sins against Him. And hell is that punishment imposed by God as just judge on guilty sinners. How shall we who are condemned guilty sinners escape the wrath of God, the punishment of hell, and have our guilt taken away so that we are no longer under that just sentence of condemnation from our just judge. We unrighteous, ungodly people can only be justified or declared as righteous by God according to His marvelous grace. But how? How is anyone accepted by God after all of our disobedience? How is anyone declared righteous though we are not? How is anyone saved? Open your Bibles to Romans 3.21. We'll start there. We'll move toward uh, Romans chapter 4. We're going to start a little bit ahead to give us a little preface to chapter 4. We'll start in 3.21 and go to four, chapter, chapter 4, verse 12. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law... Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boast in it? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith, apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is He not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. 
he will justify the circumcised by faith. And the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. And here's our text for tonight. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. The word of God. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? 4.1 The Apostle Paul turns to Abraham. The weight and impact of his life on the Jew is incalculable. If we want to know how one is accepted by God, Paul says, let us look to Abraham, the founding father of our nation and heritage. What was gained by him? How is our great forefather, our ancestor, justified by God? What do we say about him? What do we say about Abraham? How was he saved? Genesis 6, 8 says that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. How did Abraham find favor in the eyes of the Lord? How was Abraham justified? The doctrine of justification is the process by which an individual is brought into an unmerited, unearned, relationship with God. To be justified by God is simply to be declared to be declared by him as not guilty, innocent, righteous. It is a legal term signifying an acquittal of guilt and accrediting of righteousness. Paul is asking how was Abraham acquitted of his guilt before a holy and just God? Again we'll go to Romans 3 10 through 12. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. How did God justify Abraham, a sinner like you, a sinner like me? 
chapter 4, verse 2. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. The Jewish interpretation of Abraham's life was that his good works was the basis of his extraordinary relationship with God. Paul immediately corrects this false interpretation. If Abraham was justified by works, he would have reason to take pride in himself. For Abraham would stand in the right before God upon the basis of his own obedience. His own obedience would be the grounds for his right relationship with God. And that would lead him to boast in himself. But as Paul already stated in 321, boasting is excluded. Not only is boasting excluded before other people, but also before God. For what does the scripture say? 4.3, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul quotes Genesis 15.6. He wants to know what the scripture says. So should we. May we base all our thoughts about God on the testimony of his very own word. So what was Abraham believing God for exactly? Let's follow Paul to Genesis for a quick snapshot of the life of Abraham from Genesis 11 to Genesis 15. You can follow along if you'd like. If not, I'll just zip right through it. By the end of Genesis 11, Abraham is Abram. At this point, God doesn't call him Abraham for another 25 years or so, but we'll refer to him as Abraham, though, because Paul does the same thing. So I just got to make that easy, all right? We're going to call Sarai, Sarah. We're going to call Abram, Abraham, just to make things easy. He was born and raised in Ur, the powerful southern city of Babylonia, modern-day Iraq. He marries Sarai. Her name changes to Sarah. They get married. They realize they can't have any children. Abraham's father, Terah, or Terah, I don't know. We'll see how that pronunciation, pronunciation comes out. But he leads their family on a long journey from uh, Ur to the land of Canaan. Terah, Abraham, his barren wife, Sarah, and Abraham's nephew, Lot, head to Canaan. But they stopped hundreds of miles short of their intended destination and settled in Haran. Now, Haran was also a powerful city, just like Ur, but in northern Mesopotamia, modern-day Turkey. So Abraham is living in Haran now, and God begins to speak to him. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The calling of Abraham. So God commands Abraham to leave Haran and travel to a land that God will show him. Canaan. The same land that Abraham's clan didn't make it to beforehand. God promises to make of Abraham a great nation, giving him many, many descendants, even though his wife Sarah cannot have children. Abraham will even become a source of blessing to all of humanity. 
the blessing of God's righteousness, the blessing of salvation for sinful humanity will come through this one man, Abraham, and go out to all the families of the earth. After the death of Abraham's father, Terah, in Haran, Abraham, Sarah, Lot, and company respond to God's call and sojourn into the land of Canaan. A severe famine hits Canaan and forces them down to Egypt. They go down to Egypt, kicked out by Pharaoh after an odd, uh, odd event down there. Abraham calls his wife his sister, but he's technically half-sister. You figure it out if he was in the right or in the wrong. So they head back in the land of Canaan. Abraham and Lot have so much livestock that they need to give each other some space. Abraham rightly chooses the land of Canaan, and Lot chooses the fertile Jordan Valley, home to the wicked city of Sodom. We know what happens to them. Then we come to Genesis 13, 14 through 17. Another highlight. Genesis 13, 14 through 17. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length, and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. Not only is God promising to give Abraham much, much land, but he is also promising to give him many, many descendants, many children. Remember, Abraham and Sarah are childless. For Sarah can't have any children. <coughs> Remember how this sounds to... Imagine how this sounds to Abraham and Sarah. God is promising... The absolute impossible. War breaks out in the land. Abraham assembles a small army to rescue his nephew Lot, who was captured in all the chaos. He succeeds. The king priest, Melchizedek, blesses Abraham. Abraham, so grateful for the blessing, tithes and gives Melchizedek a tenth of all he had. The king of Sodom tries to reward Abraham with the spoils of war. And Abraham rejects the offer so that there wouldn't be any question where he got his wealth from. And finally, we arrive to the text Paul quotes in Genesis 15. Genesis 15, 1-6. these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven 
and number the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now flip back to Romans chapter 4 verse 3. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Most of the rabbis in Paul's day kept twisting these scriptures to say that Abraham was such a great man because of his obedience to God. But God counts Abraham's belief, his trust, his faith as righteousness. Abraham was not justified by works. Rather, he simply believed God's promise that his very own son would be his heir, and he would have many descendants. Isn't it in our sinful nature to not give glory to God when he deserves it and instead give it to man? Our flesh likes to make much of ourselves and less of God. Abraham was a falling creature, just like you and me. And God was the one who was accomplishing great work through him and his family. Now the verb counted. In Romans 4, comes from the Greek word logizomai. In some of your Bible translations, logizomai is translated as credited. In a financial context, it means to put something into someone's account. If debit is to remove from one's account, I know how that feels. If debit is to remove from one's account, credit is to add. Abraham believed God and God added to his moral account righteousness. Now, faith is not a sort of work in and of itself. We must not confuse that. Rather, it is the means by which a sinner humbles himself and trusts in the word and work of God instead of his own. One commentator puts it this way. Faith is not an alternative to righteousness, but the means by which we are declared righteous. 4-4. Now, to the one who works... His wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Money is credited to one's account in one of two ways. One, wages, which are earned through work of some sort, or as a gift in which you did no work, rendered no services, it is free and unearned. So earned, unearned. To the one who works his way through life, Trying to appease our perfect God through good deeds, salvation is no gift. Salvation is a wage he is trying to earn. Good works, then, is a salary agreement between man and God. But this is not how God saves people. This is not how he declares them to be righteous. You cannot work enough to appease a holy, perfect God. There is nothing you can do to make your spiritually dead heart alive. Did you cause yourself to be born? You didn't. You also cannot cause yourself to be born again. Can't cry, man. Thinking about, thinking about Cliff's testimony. He knew it wasn't by his own work. 
the Holy Spirit of God goes where it chooses and makes spiritually dead hearts alive in Christ. The Spirit of God opens the eyes of the heart to the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we may believe there's only one person who is regarded as righteous in God's sight. Thank you, mother-in-law. There's only one person who is regarded as righteous in God's sight. It is that person that understands they are ungodly, turns from their ungodliness, and has faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 5. And to the one who does not work, but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. This verse is one of the most defining verses in all of scripture of the doctrine of justification by faith alone, by grace alone. Justification is all of grace. It is for the one who does not work. It is for the one who trusts and believes in God. If you are holding on to your own standard of morality, your own system of good versus evil, where you define what is good, you define what is evil, and at the end of the day, you want to outweigh that evil in your own part, your own game that you're playing. Stop thinking that way. Stop thinking that way. You can't do enough good to save your ungodly soul. You have sinned against the perfect creator God, and therefore you are perfectly condemned. All the good works that you lean on every day to justify yourself in your own eyes, they will burn in the awesome, terrible judgment of our holy God. And that scares me. If you have not turned away from your sin and trusted in God for your salvation, all of your good deeds, your works, are trash before the awesome God of the universe. In the final judgment, you will be found out. All that is hidden will be brought to light. You will be seen as ungodly. And all your works will be stained. They will be stained. They will be tainted with sin. There will be a stench that will accompany your morality. And God will throw you into hell. But there is hope. Justification comes to the ungodly. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Verse 5. And to the one who does not work but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Romans 5, 6. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God in his love, mercy, and grace sent Jesus Christ, his one and only perfect son, to the cross to die for the ungodly. 
the righteous, godly substitute for the unrighteous and ungodly. For those who are infinitely undeserving of, of righteousness, God, through the atoning work of Christ on the cross and by the power of his resurrection from the dead, is declaring them to be infinitely righteous. Infinite righteousness for infinite unrighteousness. The great exchange, the heavenly substitute for worldly, ungodly humanity. What a God we serve. Justification, big word, beautiful concept. It's all of grace. It's through faith. Righteousness does not come through good works. Get that tonight. Get that. Faith alone is counted as righteousness. Hebrews 11.1, 1, our first memory verse here at the barn. Now faith is the assurance. I don't have it memorized. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. People of old like Abraham and Sarah and people living now, even in this room, you and me, we will receive our commendation from God, our justification by faith. Romans 1, 16 and 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Romans 1, 5. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Believing, trusting, having confident reliance upon God and his work, not Yours, not mine, gains you a right relationship with God. Paul now brings us to the blessedness of those justified by faith. Romans 4, 6 through 8. He brings up David, King David. Quote Psalm 32. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. David acknowledged his sin to God in faith that he would forgive him, and God did. And he will forgive us if, trusting in him, we turn from our sin and ask him to forgive us and to not count our sins against us. We pray to God the Father that we believe in his son Jesus. And we believe in his death. We believe in his resurrection. God promises to reward that faith abundantly. Don't you see, our faith isn't undefined and nebulous as the world makes it out to be. Oh, I had faith. Just got to have faith. Even the saints, how did faith and the saints come together? The world has completely misshapen our understanding of faith. What the Bible makes so clear and concrete, the world works to distort and pervert. Followers of Christ 
have faith in the one true God that is completely and perfectly trustworthy. We have faith in a God who has reached out to us, sacrificed his own son for our sins, and has made a just way for us to be made right with him. Oh, the blessing of having faith in this great God. Who is like our God? The blessing of the one to whom this great God counts righteousness apart from their own works. Paul now asks, is this justification by faith alone, by grace alone, available only to the Jews? The physical offspring of Abraham? Verse 9, is this blessing then only for the circumcised, or also for the uncircumcised? In Genesis 17, God announces that he will make an everlasting covenant with Abraham and his offspring. And the sign of that covenant is the circumcising, or the cutting off of the foreskin. In that day and age, it was an act of ritual purity. Abraham was obedient and was circumcised, him and all the males of his household, as the Lord had directed. Now, is the blessing of justification only for the Jews? Abraham's physical offspring that take part in the practice of circumcision? Or is it also available to the Gentiles who are not circumcised? Those who are strangers to the sign of the covenant between God, Abraham, and his offspring? Romans 3, 29 and 30. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. Who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? 9 through 11 now, Romans 4, 9 through 11. For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. At least 14 years, just simple math here, 14 years had passed after the justification of Abraham in Genesis 15 to when he received the sign and covenant of circumcision in Genesis 17. Circumcision truly was a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith before God had made the covenant with him. 11 and 12. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Abraham is the forefather of the faithful Gentiles who are not circumcised. Those who, like Abraham, understand themselves to be ungodly and trust in God's promises, God's words, God's works. Abraham is also the forefather of the faithful Jew who understands their circumcision to be not only an outward cut of the flesh, but also an inward cut of the heart. Not only are they circumcised physically, but they are circumcised spiritually. And so it is faith in the salvation of God through Jesus Christ 
that unites all people together as one faith family. And Abraham going out before us, leading us by example, believing God's promises to save him, he's a type of father of our faith family. We call him our father Abraham. And we could be so proud to call him our father Abraham. Abraham's faith and the promises of God justified him and saved him. God promises to save all those who draw near to him and trust in the person and work of his perfect son, Jesus Christ. We'll close with this verse, Romans 10, 9 through 13. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all. Bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved.